0: All right. Well, I have a confession to make. Um, I, I'm a geek. Uh, and, and, you know, it's not much of a confession for those of you who know me well. Uh, but, but it's true. I'm a nerd. I, I've got most of the lines to Star Wars memorized and Lord of the Rings. And uh, I own several, if not most, superhero movies. So there you go. And uh, anyway, so a couple weeks ago, I was watching television and I well, actually, no, I think it was with a couple guys when we were watching Watchmen and we saw the the trailer Have you seen the new teaser trailer for the Star Trek movie seen this anyway? I, I see a fist-pump see Ryan's probably nerdier than me He rivals me in my Star Wars knowledge, but anyway, um Yeah, this this new teaser trailer for for Star Trek I think the movie's coming out next month. And I'm really excited about it. You don't have to be but uh, but everyone's heard of Star Trek, right, you know and it's it's kind of the backstory. This Nick's film is the backstory on the original crew. So you've got Captain Kirk, and he's this young, strapping lad, and who's probably right out of the academy. I mean, it's totally different than William Shatner now, uh, the travel ninja on Priceline.com commercials or whatever. So, you know, it's it's, it's the backstory, and. Um, you know, for those of us who've watched any Star Trek, I mean, you've seen maybe several television episodes or some movies, and you kind of know how the crew ends up. A little overweight, some of them die, whatever. Uh, Why would we want to to go back and watch the backstory? Well, because if you like Star Trek, you want to know everything you possibly can about how the crew became who they became. Well, Today this evening we're going to be starting a series in John's gospel. I'm so excited I say this about every text of scripture, but it's my favorite book. Okay Uh, and the cool thing about John's gospel is it's kind of all the gospels They're the story of Jesus. You know, there's four gospels Matthew Mark Luke and John and they all tell a perspective on the story of Christ now two weeks ago we were here celebrating Easter Sunday, which is the resurrection. It's like the highlight of the Christian calendar. It was our launch Sunday, and then I went home after that, and I thought, oh, great, where do we go from there? That was like the highlight of the year. Um, And so really, we kind of know what happens to Jesus, right? Like he was resurrected from the dead. He ascended, and now we're waiting for him to come back someday. And what else is there to know? Well, for those who who are interested in knowing Jesus more deeply, there's the whole backstory to know. And that, so as we look into John, that's, that's what we're doing. And if you will, uh, today we're, we're going to look at John 1, 1 through 18, which many people call the prologue to John's gospel. And if John's like a movie about Jesus's life, then the prologue is like the teaser trailer. So what we're going to look at today is the teaser trailer of John. And this 18 verses that we're going to look at is just packed full of theological themes and motifs that are going to be beautifully flushed out in the rest of john's gospel and i can't wait to do that but there's also just such wonderful news in in the scripture so if you would like to look in your pew bible it's on page 726 I had to write that down it's on page 726 and i don't mention this enough but those pew bibles are gift bibles so like if you don't have one or your bible at home is getting all screwed up or something please take those with you um they're our gift to you. So the way I'm going to tackle this passage today, these first 18 verses, is in three major sections. So let's tackle section one. That's uh, verses one through five. And it goes just like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being That has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, did not overpower it. All right. So, I just got done saying that John's whole book here is about Jesus. And if this is the prologue or the teaser trailer... About this book about jesus. How come jesus's name isn't even mentioned in the first five verses? What's up with that? Why Who? who is this word? I know jesus, but who is this word? Well, I have to tell you something about john the writer of this book First and foremost john is an evangelist. He's an evangelist now When I say evangelist, you may be thinking A mean-looking person holding a sign with flames on it. That's not, what I'm, that's not what an evangelist is, actually. Evangel comes from a Greek word, euangelion, which means good news. So an evangelist is someone who communicates good news. In this case, it's good news about Jesus. John's audience is unique. It's, well, much like in America. We live in a mixed culture, right? Like there's no dominant religion. There's no dominant necessar- necessary um it's not even a dominant fashion. You could walk down the street and see all kinds of... Obviously, I don't have any. So it's just... It, there's. It's a pluralistic society he's talking to. Very complex. But if I were to simplify it, which I'm going to try and do right now, there are two major groups John is talking to. Jewish folks on one side and Greeks on another. And he's trying to communicate with these groups about Jesus without closing them off right away if john were to say in the beginning was jesus and jesus was with god and jesus was god the jewish people would have got up. like if he was preaching a sermon would have got up and left and the greeks would have got out and laughed here's why jesus was offensive to the jews at this time and he was nonsense to the greeks the greeks would have just said wasn't jesus that guy that you guys say is your messiah who died on a cross The Greeks, they they looked up to their philosophers and uh, to, to their pantheon of many gods. So John is trying to use a word that's going to connect with them, that's going to hook them. He uses this word, logos, which is translated word in our Bible. To the Jews, the logos was the actual voice of God, the word of God. And a Jewish person reading this for the first time would say, in the beginning... What does that sound like? We preached on it last week. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created, and there's light and darkness and this kind of thing. John is kind of structuring this as a hook. Now, through the centuries, the Jewish uh, theologians did, pretty much came to a consensus that the thing that created was, it was God, but the agency by which he created the, wor- the world was his spoken word. His logos his logos went out of his voice and when god said let there be light It was logos that made there be light And so this would have made perfect sense to a jewish person in the beginning was the word and the word was with god And sure the word was god. It was coming out of him. It was his word. Okay, so john done a good job connecting with his jewish audience on the other hand there's the greek audience and the greeks had this term Logos that meant their highest ideal reality of realities And so for a greek person to say oh In the beginning was the word. That's right. The highest ideal is timeless. It's a philosophical Idea see what i'm saying? So john is is using a word that both groups can understand and he doesn't care that they understand it differently He just knows that they're hooked now. Okay, and that's that's what's going on here so we're reading this from a much, much different perspective, 21st century. We kind of know that this is about Jesus. But anyway, so in the beginning was this word. The word was with God and the word was God. He was in the very beginning. Jesus was in from the very beginning. And in him, in him was life. Life in scripture and especially in John's gospel. I just got to, oh, it's so cool. It's going to be so fun to go through John together. But uh There are two ways that John can say life in the Greek language. One is bios. Say it. Bios. Okay? That's where we get biology, right? It's the, um, it's, bios means I'm breathing, my heart's pumping, my biological systems are working. It's just plain old life. Okay? Then there's another term, and it's Ryan and Christine's daughter's name, Zoe. Can you say Zoe? Zoe. Zoe, this is another Greek word for life that means everlasting, God-filled life. Now, in him was the Zoe, was the fullness of life. This is the life that Jesus comes to bring, not just mere bios, the kind that you're born and then you die, but this everlasting, God-breathed, Zoe life. So cool. John is setting this up to mirror the creation story so that when we read this We're kind of thinking along the lines of genesis 1 and creation And the reason john is doing that is because he wants us to be prepared for a message that he's going to have later on This is the teaser trailer remember And 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 here's what he's getting at jesus came to bring new creation New creation you and I we're already created. We're sitting here alive New creation is what is the good news that Jesus came to bring. And that new creation is the reality that God is inviting you and me into relationship with him, to be adopted as sons and daughters. And it's a new way of looking at the world so that where the world would say, we should be going after power and money and status. Jesus says, no, in my new way, my new creation, the way that is really successful is to give of yourself, is to love other people, is to care for the weak. And just a teaser trailer. We'll, we'll, we'll go in the weeks to come. You can see what John's trying to do. He's setting us up for the idea of new creation. Now, I said I'm going to be going in three sections. This is the first section. If there was a point, and you're a note taker, the point might be this. That everything hinges on the fact that Jesus, this word, was in the beginning and that he is God, and that he has the power to create, which means that he has the power to fulfill all of the little promises and big promises that he's going to be making later on in this gospel. We might as well not read on if we don't come to terms with the fact that the Word can do what the Word says. This next little section isn't actually one of the three. I kind of lied. There's a transitional piece here, and it's verses 6 through 8. It goes like this. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. By the way, that's not John the author. It's John the Baptist. I'm just trying to get confusing here. There came a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. Now, he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. I guess they want to drive that point home. That's why they'd say it twice in a row. A couple things about this. First of all, it kind of seems out of place to me. In the first five verses, there's this grandiose, in the beginning was the word, and now there's just this little ditty about this guy, John, who wasn't the light, but he came as a witness. All right. Here's one significant thing about this. If you just had the first five verses, you could think it was a simple philosophy or a grand ideal. But what John the writer is doing is grounding the story of Jesus in history. This actually happened that this word came down during the lifetime of John the Baptist. Okay? Because what we're going to find is that this section of Scripture is about Jesus' presence and particularity. His presence, not just general presence, but his presence here and now in your life, in the lives of all people, in the lives all over the world. The other thing we see in verse 7 is we're introduced to a word that is extremely important in John's gospel. It's the word believe. It's the word believe. The word believe in John's gospel is, occurs 98 times. There's only 21 chapters in John's Gospel. 98 times. 98 out of 98 times, it's used as a verb. It's never a noun. It's always used as a verb, which means that you could actually say it like this. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe into him into christ this word believe as a verb means way more than raising your right hand and saying i understand in my head it it's it's an action word which means if i believe if i believe in jesus if i believe that he is the lord then it's going to show in how i live my life that's what believe that's the kind of believe that we're talking about Okay, so we have this little three-verse intermission or or insert that that grounds us in history. And we're reminded that John the Baptist, he's not the true light. He came as a witness. And then let's start in in, in verse 9. But there was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. And actually, that could be said every man, woman, and child. The, The Greek behind that word man is anthropos, which just means humanity. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens humanity. He was in the world and the world was made through him. But the world didn't know him. He came to his own. And those who are his own didn't receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe into his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of god this true light enlightens every man woman and child this enlightenment isn't isn't what you think of when you think of a, like self actualization or i'm an enlightened person because i'm open minded and uh, understand the, the ways of the world this is enlightenment Uh, that, that Jesus comes and opens our eyes to see reality as it really is, to see who he really is. He came to enlighten and to give us the ability to see that new creation is possible, that a different alternative way of life in which power structures are flipped over is possible. That's the enlightenment he's talking about. and it's not just an idea this enlightenment is, is is based on not an idea but a person the person of Jesus Christ it's all based on him he came to his own he came to the jewish people because jesus was born a jew and he also came to his own humanity he he was a human being he came to his own the people of human beings and they didn't receive him they rejected him when i was in the coast guard i ran across a friend who knew this african-american coastie and he got transferred down into the south he wanted to move south where his family was from In this particular small boat station they warned him they said listen this is basically like the center of redneck universe you are you sure you want to take your family down here? It's rough. He said, yeah, I, I, I want to go down. I want to go down here. So they move down, and they're on a call. So they're in their small boat, and there's some fishermen whose boat had, uh, had sunk. A few fishermen were in the water. There's three crew members on this Coast Guard small boat, two Caucasians and this African-American guy. He goes in to stick his hand out to rescue one of these fishermen, and the fisherman spits on him. And won't take his help because of the color of his skin. Now, Jesus came to his own human beings, and he wasn't what they were looking for. He didn't act the right way, he didn't hang out with the right people, he wasn't a great military leader. And they ended up killing him. And it makes me pause and wonder how many times have I withdrawn from Jesus' hand holding out to me? Do I let my pride stand in the way of following him wholeheartedly? He came to his own. But those who were his own did not receive him. how crushing must that have been? Just before that, it says that he was in the world. The world was made through him and the world didn't know him. Jesus created every single one of us. He created the earth. It's his will that holds our atomic structure together, if you, if you think of it that way. I mean, all Jesus would have to do is, like, stop willing it, and we would fall apart. So he created people. He comes to them to rescue, to enlighten, to, to show a new way of life, a new creation. And the very ones that he made reject. I, I guess it would be somewhat like your children all just totally rejecting you. Sort of. Only I didn't really make them. You know what I mean? It's, it's deeper for Jesus. Well, it seems like dismal news, but there's a but here, and I gotta admit, I like theological buts, and I cannot lie. Um, every time you, okay, that was really bad. <coughs> every time when you when you see these 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 transitional, <laughs> when you see these transitional buts here, um, you, you know something profound is going to happen, good or bad, I don't know, but. Here, after his own didn't receive him, it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right, the authority, the power, the permission to become, to become, not be called, but to become children of God. To become children of God. This is this is ground shattering because... Remember the two audiences. Jewish people thought that you have to be born into the family in order to be acceptable by God. Born into the Jewish race to be acceptable by God. Or, you know, if you went through a bunch of hoops and you're a proselyte, you could come in. But we don't really want to tell too many people about that. Then there's the Greek side who said, you know, there's just certain people by chance who have a little extra something in them. And it, you, you, can't, you can't earn it. It's just something extra inside that some people are just closer to God than others. And just so happened that those people happen to be rich and, and powerful. And so everybody else, they're not as close to God. It was, they believed the way you were born. There's no way to work your way out of it. Okay? And what Jesus does is says, all who believe in me, to be adopted into the family of God. That is earth shattering. He destroys divisive walls. And it will, in fact, very few of you, I bet, are Jewish or Greek. <laughs> uh, and, and you're here accepted into the family of God. I mean, this is, this is why I can even stand up here is because of what Jesus has done. It's such good news because I think it gets to the heart of a fundamental human issue. And that's our identity our identity i I think sometimes we ask the wrong question i don't know if you've ever asked yourself maybe maybe when you're a teenager more so but who am i who am i Uh, i you know i ask that sometimes but i think the deeper question and the more foundational question is whose am i not who am i but whose am i because the problem is if we if we have that part screwed up we open our whole lives up to really a life of slavery. And let me explain just by my own example. For years, I have struggled with insecurity. Never thinking I'm good enough or smart enough. Always trying to to please be my dad when I was a kid or an employer or friends. Always trying to measure up. You know what that does? It sends you down a road of falsehood, of lying, of constant anxiety and stress. But when I realize that I am a child of God, not based on how I perform, but because he loves me regardless, well, that's a very freeing thing. That's the good news of this passage, is that you no longer have to be a slave to trying to to identify yourself with somebody else. To trying to prove yourself to other people. Because you are God's child. This is a tough lesson to learn. And I think even if you have been following Jesus for a long time, it, right? You probably need this message. Let me just confess that even this last week, it was a Friday. I was at that annual meeting And I was at a lunch with some church planters. It's a good time of connection. And three of us came back in a car, typical church planter car. It was a 1981 Volvo with rust and fender was hanging off. And uh, we pull into this place where we were all meeting, and I had a four-hour break where I was going to work on today's message. I really had some more work to do to get it all polished and nice and presentable for you guys and... Um, I could tell as we pulled up that one of our friends in the car, he, he just really needed to talk. And it was one of those deals where he wasn't really asking to talk. And I just confess, I was so tempted to just get out of the car and go work on this flippin' message. Why? So you might think better of me, so I might be a little smoother in my delivery. We ended up staying in that car and talking and crying and praying for two hours. And I think that this guy's life was in some small way saved. Um, He was at the end of his rope. And my selfishness, my slavery my own insecurity almost stopped that conversation how ironic that's actually what I thought that's actually what I thought in the car how ironic would it be if I got out right now and I'm preaching on this I said this is stupid I am a child of God (laughs) he's gonna love me whether my sermon isn't as good as it could have been and hopefully you will too But do you see see how it makes a difference? The way, the decisions that we make, even in the little things, when we identify whose we are, it makes all the difference about who we are. (laughs) Well, that's not even the coolest part of the of the message, actually. I think it's significant. And uh, if you are a point writer downer, here's number two. We find our true identity in the Word. We're children of God. Now on to the third section. And the Word became flesh And dwelt among us And we saw his glory glory as of the only begotten from the father full of grace and truth John testified about him and cried out saying this was he of whom I said He who comes after me has a higher rank than I for he existed before me For of his fullness we've all received and grace upon grace for the law was given through moses grace and truth were realized through jesus christ no one has seen God at any time. You remember what Meg read. You're probably wondering, why is she reading Exodus when they're going in John? Because her passage in Exodus is about the presence of God. Even deeper than the identity question, I believe the longing of our human hearts, every single one of us, is we really want to know God. We really want to know God we want to see him we want to be connected with him And moses was crying out show me your glory and even moses this Incredible leader of the old testament wasn't allowed to see god face to face What does this say The law was given through moses grace and truth were realized through jesus christ No one's seen god at any time the only begotten god who is in the bosom of the father Jesus, he's explained him. When we see Jesus, we see God. When we look at Jesus' character, we know about the character of God. So let's jump back up to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This would have been absolutely scandalous to the Greeks. Okay, so you remember how John used that whole word thing to hook his audience? And so if they're tracking with him this far, okay, okay, John, we can kind of see what you're saying. But when they said the word became flesh and dwelt among us, they would have been like, what did he say? What did he say? Because in the Greek idea, everything physical, flesh, earthly things, anything that you can touch was bad. And the Greek idea was, how can we possibly attain a state of life where we can escape all of this and just become a drop in the big spirit? Their pantheon of gods didn't exist in the flesh. They could. They could pretend and put on flesh for a little while, but they never wanted to become human beings. So this was absolutely crazy that a deity, that that Jesus, that God would come in the flesh, and not just pretend, but be in the flesh. It's what's called the incarnation, and that's a comes from the Latin, which means in meat. All right, bachelor guys, remember when you were bachelors and you had living on chili? I know Eric's a stag man. I was kind of Nally from the Tacoma area, but you always wanted the chili con carne, right? Well, at least I did. That's that's with the meat. Well, Jesus was God con carne. You know not chilly, but he came in the meat He didn't just look like a person He became a person a human being and it wasn't all dignified like how how would you imagine god would come with you know this grand entrance and a uh, Angelic warriors all around and just okay. I'm god and i'm here And i'm in charge, but that's not at all how our god comes he comes through a Natural labor, if you 've ever seen a natural labor it 's not pretty it 's messy and it 's dangerous and there's stuff and and he wasn 't in a clean hospital even he he's in a he 's in a he 's in a stall for animals and they put their new baby, God of the universe in a feeding trough you got to imagine there's flies and smell of stuff. Come on, you know. It's not clean. It's not dignified in the way that we think of, oh, I'm the president, or I'm a king, and so I'm going to be in this palace, or have the the best accommodations. This is just typical of our God, to come to the lowliest. Who does he call? Who does he call to come see him uh, when Jesus is first born? It's no like The the king of Jerusalem isn't there. Caesar isn't there. It's shepherds. Shepherds were the low people on the totem pole. Despised by most. They stunk. Uh, Who else was there? Magi from a pagan country that the Jews would have not even uh, allowed in their temple. They got to come, and they were smart enough to know that this was God. I mean, I know I'm going down Christmas time here, but I just got to say, this is an amazing story, this incarnation, God Konkarni. The Almighty was made vulnerable. Make no mistake about it. He didn't like pretend he was human and then like, oh, but I'm really can just uh, ward off any disease. Or, I mean, this is an infant that could have developed any kind of sickness, could have been kidnapped, captured, killed, anything. That's a kind of God. That's the kind of God that rules the universe. And the scripture goes on to say that we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, Meg also read uh, in, in Exodus about the tabernacle. The tabernacle was this portable tent where God would come to the people of Israel and he would meet with them. His presence was in the tabernacle. Later on in in history, Solomon was able to build a temple and God's presence dwelt in that temple. Further on, the people of Israel rejected, they revolted against God. They started worshiping other idols. And in Zechariah, it talks about how God removed his presence from the temple. So for centuries the Jewish people are waiting, waiting, waiting for the presence of God to come back, to come fill their temple, to come be with them. Doesn't happen, doesn't happen, doesn't happen. Jesus comes and he is the new temple. He has all the fullness and the glory of God. So that, that glory word doesn't mean that he was... He was glowing or something like that. It means that he possessed all the godness. He was the temple, the living, breathing temple. And you know what the glory of God is? As we read the book of John, you'll get more and more exposed to it. But the glory of God is God bending down and washing feet. It's God hanging out with lepers and prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners like me. That's the glory of God. Jesus comes and completely flips around what our idea of glory is. And I'm still trying to get my head around it, let alone my heart around it. Jesus' incarnation informs a lot of what we do here at Letter Street's Covenant Church. In fact, it's the foundation, really, of why we planted this church. Jesus' presence in a particular place, in a particular time. We recognize that Jesus wants to be present all around the world. But we also recognize that we're folks that live here in Bellingham. Corey and I live right in the lettered streets. We gather for worship in the lettered streets. And that's why so much of our focus is being Christ incarnate Right here in our neighborhood. It's why we have people that tutor elementary kids at Parkview, which is where our elementary age kids go. It's why we do neighborhood garbage cleanups and clean up Maritime Heritage Park. It's why we have delivered meals and gifts to needy families at Thanksgiving and Christmas time right here in our neighborhood. Because we see what Jesus did being present in a particular place in a particular time. And that's what drives our missional impulse. It's what drives what we do as a church. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. When we believe in Jesus, when we trust Him, we receive something very special. His very Spirit. Now check this out. St. Paul talks about this in Corinthians as well That we Not this building We Are the temple Of God There will not be a time anymore Where Jesus or God Goes back to Jerusalem and His glory dwells in the temple That's not what it's about Jesus has made a new People of God and Everyone is invited to to participate in that there is no race. There's no gender. There's no age discrimination There's no mental test to get in. There's no physical test to get in all it takes is Accepting the fact that God wants you in his family It's a trust issue and he comes and makes his dwelling in each of us. So, you know what that means? That if you're trusting Christ and you have his spirit in you, when you go home, when you go to work, when you go to school, when you're in your neighborhood, when you're mowing your lawn, you are Christ incarnate in that place. It makes a difference how we interact with other people, it makes a difference how we go about our jobs. Because our jobs are, are no longer just an ends to, uh, a means to an end. They're not just things that, "Oh, I do this so I can make money so I can have fun." It's, it's a holy vocation. It's a holy vocation. You take Christ with you where you go. So I guess if there's a third point, it'd be this: We live out of our new identity. In the constant grace of the Word's real presence. Jesus' real presence. He's moved into the neighborhood, and he's with us through the Spirit all the time. He's with us through the Spirit all the time. Finally, in verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who's in the bosom of the Father, he's He's explained him. There's this word there that it means he exegeted him. Jesus drew out of his godness and he shows us what God the Father is really like. So when we read through John and we get to see all of Jesus' interactions with people, we see, oh, that's what God would do in that situation. Oh, that's how God is. And that's what's so great about studying the Gospels to me is we get an open window into to the life of god to see who he's really like i'm excited about the rest of the series for the, the weeks to come and i i challenge you to invite people if you've got people that want to know something about jesus or if you're here for the first time and you want to know okay who's this jesus guy uh, we're going to do this series called a year in the life of jesus and it's gonna it's gonna just take a chronological year out of john and let's let's check it out i'm i'm excited to find out uh, more about him as well.